I'm Joel Parker. And I'm Susan Moran. This is How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, August 26th, 2014. Coming up, can seafood be sustainable? We'll discuss progress and challenges in the sustainable seafood and fisheries movement with our guests, John Hosevar from Greenpeace and Carrie Brownstein from Whole Foods. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science. The Rosetta mission has selected five candidate locations for a landing site on the comet 67P Churyumov-Gerasimenko. In an intensive meeting over the weekend at the National Center for Space Studies in Toulouse, France, the Rosetta Landing Site Selection Group reviewed and debated the merits of an initial list of about 10 sites. The group of mission engineers and scientists analyzed and compared various factors of each candidate's site, factors that include safety and visibility during the separation and descent phase of the lander, a landing site that doesn't have too many large boulders or deep crevasses or steep slopes, good illumination for charging the solar panels, and points of scientific interest. The scientists feel that the five chosen sites offer the best chance to land safely and study the composition, internal structure, and activity of the comet with the experiments on the lander. By September 14th, another few weeks of detailed observations from the Rosetta Orbiter spacecraft, the five candidate sites will have been assessed and ranked, leading to the selection of a primary landing site and a backup. The landing is scheduled to take place on November 11th, For more information, go to rosetta.esa.int. Ever wondered why your dog looks up to you and loves you unconditionally? Because you're just so special? Well, recent research suggests that the earliest dog breeders selected wolves that were dependent and submissive to be the parents of the first dogs. Researchers from the University of Veterinary Medicine in Vienna raised mixed-breed dogs, a.k.a. mutts, and wolves for this study. They, the humans that is set out a bowl, of, a bowl of food for a high-ranking dog paired with a low-ranking dog. They repeated this for pairs of wolves. Although they don't describe how they figured out which dog was the dominant one, it's usually pretty obvious. We've all seen how same-sex dogs assess each other until they get that sorted out. In every pairwise matchup, the higher-ranking dog would monopolize the food. The wolves, however, were able to eat from the dish at the same time. Wolves have to cooperate in the wild to bring down large prey animals. But when you think about it, humans are the top dog in hierarchical people-pup relationships. We don't need to cooperate with our dogs, or at least we did not when they were first domesticated. We wanted to be able to tell them what to do. I guess my old dog Sean missed that memo. The study was presented at at the recent Animal Behavior Society meeting in Princeton, and it was published in the August 22nd issue of the journal Science. And for you history of science and news buffs, on this day 156 years ago appeared the first news dispatch by telegraph. In case postal mail even seems so well prehistory to you, telegraphy is the long-distance transmission of textual symbolic messages, as opposed to verbal or audio messages, without the physical exchange of an object bearing the message. For instance, the pigeon post 
was not a method of telegraphy. But the use of smoke signals, beacons, reflected lights, and flag semaphore signals were early examples of telegraphs. In the 19th century, the harnessing of electricity brought about the means to transmit signals via electrical telegraph. So, fast forward to the Internet age, in which telegraphic methods have evolved dramatically. Natural language interfaces that hide the underlying code have allowed technologies that are now so commonplace. Email and instant messaging. Tweet that. I'd like to be under the sea in an octopus's garden in the shade. You're listening to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Susan Moran. So we're continuing our series called The Ocean is Us. This is the fourth feature interview that explores how we in landlocked Colorado are connected to the ocean and its inhabitants and what's at stake right now. Last week, we talked about marine sanctuaries and their ecological importance in preserving fish, coral, and whole ecosystems. If you're like me, you love to eat fish. And like me, you may struggle at the grocery store or in a restaurant over which kind is okay to buy and which is not okay. After all, an estimated 90% of large fish have already been wiped out from the sea. How can or should fish protein be a piece of feeding, well, ourselves, but mainly the 9 billion-plus people who will inhabit the planet by mid-century. So joining me on the phone to discuss how seafood can be sustainable are two seafood experts. John Hosevar is the marine biologist who directs the Ocean Campaign at Greenpeace. He's in Washington, D.C. And Carrie Brownstein coordinates seafood quality standards at Whole Foods. John and Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And John? Thanks, yes, nice okay, great. Here. So I'm going to jump right in. Is sustainable seafood an oxymoron? John, why don't we start with you, Greenpeace? Well, we can't afford for it to be. We uh, live in a situation where over a billion people depend on seafood, um, and we absolutely have to make sure that it's sustainable. We've seen already huge problems with depletion of wild populations in our oceans, and uh, if these trends continue, we're really going to be in quite a lot of trouble, both for our marine ecosystems, but also for the, the very large numbers of people that depend on seafood. So it's not an oxymoron, but it's not in great shape either, right? That's right. Um, and Carrie, we'll get more into um, sort of Whole Foods and retailers a bit later, but just your initial assessment of that. Yeah, it- Seafood is tremendously valuable as a source of protein and micronutrients for people around the world. And like John said, you know, actually it's 4.3 billion people around the world now get uh, 15% of their animal protein from, from seafood. That's a huge number of people huge. that depend on seafood. So, you know, what we really try to do is try to create a model for how it can be done right and to help reverse trends in overfishing and bycatch so that we can have a sustainable seafood market. And right now, I mean, how would you assess the state of the oceans, whether they're much worse or better in terms of overfishery, overfishing, fishery collapses, threatened ocean ecosystems? John? Well, yeah, go 
Well, in the United States, I think we've gotten a bit better about overfishing. Um, we've strengthened the federal laws, and they're being implemented, you know, reasonably well in terms of not overfishing our stocks. Globally, that's not really the case yet. Um, we're seeing more and more populations dwindling. Um, the you know our history is pretty bad. We've we've um, actually driven about one in three major fisheries to collapse in the past 50, 60 years. Um, but one of the things that we really haven't gotten a handle on at all, including the United States, is fisheries management from a more ecosystem-based perspective. So we've gotten better at kind of estimating the number of fish out there and predicting the number of fish that we could catch each year so there's still going to be fish left. But we still aren't really taking into account the needs of other predators in the ecosystem. So sometimes we take so much fish that marine mammals or seabirds that depend on those same fish go hungry. Uh, and the big issue, um, and Carrie mentioned bycatch, that's an enormous problem. The, the other big issue is the impact that we have on the habitat, mm -hmm. especially, um, you know, vulnerable seafloor habitat like corals and sponges that the fish and other species depend on. And, and, that's, and that's impact from, say, trawling, you know, the big nets they're just dragging on the bottom of the ocean floor or all kinds of things. Exactly. Trawling is the worst culprit, but it's not the only one. We also uh, use weighted lines that sweep along the bottom, and, and those, can, um, those can damage uh, large numbers of, of corals and sponges as well. And Carrie? Right. So I think, I think it's important to understand that when you're asking, you know, is this fish sustainable that I, that I want to eat, you're looking at a, a really, it's a really multifaceted question. And what goes into determining that is, you know, how healthy is that fish population of that species you're talking about, but also how was it caught? Are there impacts on the habitat? Are there impacts on other marine life in the oceans? Um, those other kinds of questions all go into assessing the sustainability of, of a fish. So how do you define, Carrie, sustainable seafood? Yeah, so, you know, when, when we talk about sustainable seafood, we're looking at, you know, a, a global picture here of how do you um, have fish that can that can maintain populations of that species and also surrounding ecosystems. So including the other fish and marine life that live there as well as, um, as habitats. And, you know, the other thing we have to remember here is that when we talk about seafood, 47% uh, of the total global supply of, of seafood is farmed. So when we talk about sustainability, we also need to talk about sustainable production and responsible production um, of aquaculture or fish farming. And when we're looking there, the, some of the questions are a little bit different. We're, we're asking some separate questions, which I'd love to talk about Yeah, we'll definitely well. get into um, the, the farming. So, wow, 46%. Of the global yeah, seafood. the UN um, FAO, Food and Agriculture Organization, is kind of the primary um, agency for for global fishery uh, statistics, and and their latest estimate from 2012 is that 47 percent of total global fish supply is is farmed. Yeah, and um, I wanted to get into some of the guidelines that have been developed over the last several years to help. Well, to help retailers, but also consumers figure out what's good, what's bad. Um, 
And maybe starting, if I could just distill, so this definition of sustainable seafood, basically you're not catching faster than the fish can reproduce, right? Yeah, that's that's a good way to think about it. You know, you want to maintain healthy population levels. Um, but you know, as as John also brought up, there are ecosystem questions that we that we consider as well. You know, um, and and this is something that you know that fishery science um, today is is still grappling with in terms of how do you fully evaluate that. You know, that's actually what I did my master's work on back in grad school. Is how do you know exactly how many fish it's okay to catch and to leave enough. Um, uh, at the same time for the other uh, predators in the ecosystem. Not a simple game of math, I'm sure. No, no, it, it can be yeah. pretty complicated. So let's jump into some of the uh, eco-certification programs that Whole Foods and others, but it seems particularly Whole Foods is really supported and, and even adopted mm-hmm. its own guidelines. But um, Carrie, could you talk about just the, the range of them without mentioning all of them, but mainly wh- sure. what's the, what's that, the would be point? A, that would be a long discussion. Well, and this is part of yeah. the discussion because it just creates sure. such consumer confusion in, in, within some sectors. But so just define it first and what's the, why, why were they developed and what are they supposed to be doing? Sure. I mean, you know, when the conversation about sustainable seafood really started taking off back in the, um, you know, back in the late 1990s, um, there really weren't so many um, certification schemes out there. But really, now there are a lot. And, and you know, what that tells us is that, um, you know, it's a good sign because it tells us that there is consumer demand out there for sustainable seafood and that people want assurances that the seafood that they're selecting um, comes from good fisheries and comes from uh, sustainably managed farms. Um, You know, the tricky part when you do uh, see a whole market with multiple sustainability uh, schemes out there and certification schemes is that some are going to be stronger than others. And, you you know, you can run the risk of greenwashing. So um, it becomes a a trickier landscape. Whole Foods, for example, Whole Foods Market has had a collaboration with the Marine Stewardship Council for a long time now, over a decade. And the reason why, and, and back when that started, they were really the, the number one um, only game in town right. for certification of fisheries. And, the, you know, the reason why Whole Foods Market selected that organization is because they use an international, multi-stakeholder um, approach to standards development that are based in science and that there is chain of custody certification. And what that means is that when you see a label in the store that says MSE on it, that you know that the, the fish in the store came from the actual fishery and the actual vessel that was certified. And by the way, for so listeners, traceability. Um, the MSE is generally that blue check, right? Yeah. And I'm going to take a brief station break, and then we'll return to this. In case uh, those of you out there are just joining us, this is How on Earth, the science show on KGNU, 88.5 FM, 1390 AM. I'm Susan Moran, and I'm here at the KGNU studio with John Hosevar of Greenpeace and Carrie Brownstein, Seafood Quality Standards Coordinator at Whole Foods. And we're talking about sustainable seafood and fisheries. So, John, I wanted to jump to you on the eco-certification. You at Greenpeace have done quite a bit of... Uh, looking into this, not only looking into this, but in some cases objecting to some of the protocols that they have. What what are the, you know, what's worthwhile and what is sort of a hindrance or not quite making it in terms of these eco-labels? I think in general the idea of eco-labels was uh, a good one, and especially when there were a lot of retailers just starting to 
become aware of the need to address seafood sustainability. And, you know, they didn't at that point have the capacity to really evaluate all the different fisheries and um, fish farms themselves. And so getting some third party to do the hard work for them made some sense. Unfortunately, you know, the standards vary quite a bit, and they're, and at least from our perspective, they're not upheld consistently. Um, the bar isn't quite as high as we need it to be, and so we have really put the responsibility back on the retailers and said, look, if you're going to sell seafood, then it's, you have an obligation to make sure it's sustainable and you know, frankly, the independent certifiers are not going to be sufficient for that. Um, there aren't, for the most part, they're either doing farmed or wild seafood, so it's not like you can rely on just one anyway. But beyond that, you know, even the best of them end up certifying some fisheries that are pretty questionable, you know, um, fisheries that involve bottom trawling, fisheries that are operating in proposed marine sanctuaries, um, In fact, there's only know, there's, been one that has not been allowed, right? And wasn't it one that Greenpeace objected to? Yeah, it's. I mean, it's pretty uncommon that a fishery actually applies for certification and doesn't get it, which, you know, really adds to the question about is the bar high enough. So almost safe to say if you can buy your way into a certification, you can get certified and then, you know, proceed to charge premium for your fish? That's definitely been part of the criticism, and, you know, there there is a little bit of an incentive there. Um, and so that's part of why Whole Foods has been doing such a good job is they, they work with uh, certifiers like the Marine Stewardship Council, but they also have done a lot of work, and Carrie has led this, to develop their own standards and their own policies. Yeah, Carrie, I wanted to ask you about that. A lot of people who shop at Whole Foods see the MSC you know, sort of the ranking, the certification, and then Whole Foods guidelines beyond that. What, what's the point yeah. of that? So, so what we know is that uh, the Marine Stewardship Council certified fisheries um, do not, there are not enough certified fisheries for us to only sell um, those that are, are certified. So for wild-caught fish, because MSC doesn't do farm, uh, we also use the color-coded rankings of Two partners, the Monterey Bay Aquarium and the Safina Center, which was uh, which is formerly the Blue Ocean Institute, and what that means is that you would go into the store if you were shopping, and you'd say, okay, my choices are uh, for wild fish, a MSC certified fish, or a fish uh, from a fishery rated green or yellow. So we won't sell anything from a fishery that's rated red, and red, you know, typically means overfished or mm-hmm. major problems with the population and the fishery. And um, so basically, you know, the idea is Whole Foods does the homework for the, for the customers. So and you're basically a, a curator or a further filter for us. Yeah, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't have to make a bad choice. You know, any, any choice you're going to make is a pretty good one. And then um, on the farm side, we developed our own standards. And it's a very in-depth process. When we started, there weren't no uh, certifications out there for farm seafood. And um, I spent two years research and developing standards uh, just for farmed fin, fish, and shrimp, and then we recently uh, completed a process around farmed mollusks like clams and oysters and mussels. So we work with scientists, um, farmers, um, environmental groups, and visit farms 
all over the world, all over the country, go to scientific meetings, get all the input that we can possibly get, and then we have a whole review process. And, and that multi-stakeholder process, I think, is, is really drives the, the um, you know, the depth behind it. And then there's a, a major part of this whole thing, and this is where you can, I think, distinguish some of these certification pro, um, programs, is with the traceability. So, for example, I mentioned that MSC has chain of custody certification. We also, even for our own standards for the farm seafood, have a traceability audit as a part of the annual audit. So every farm that we source from has to be audited every year by our auditors, third-party auditors, to evaluate the farm and make sure they meet our standards. And while they're there, they're also doing a traceability check to make sure the seafood actually comes from the certified farm. Right. And then so in addition... We- yeah, we also use electronic traceability software to track all our seafood. And we've just got a couple minutes left, so I just wanted to jump yeah. in, um, John, since you came out pretty recently, a few months ago, with the latest Greenpeace Seafood Report Card for grocers, and Whole Foods was ranked number one. Just could you distill for us what's important about that, and what, what are a couple things consumers can do right now to be aware and to eat consciously? Sure. Yeah, there's some good news here. I mean, we did our first assessment of major retailers in the United States in terms of sustainable seafood in 2008, and all 20 that we looked at failed. And we just released our eighth version of that report this year, and now we've expanded it, and 22 out of 26 have achieved passing scores in just, you know, five or six years. So it's been great to see the whole sector uh, really move forward. And Whole Foods is leading the pack. They're at number one now and one of just four retailers that has actually made it into our, our green ranking. Um, so that's been it's been exciting. I mean, we definitely have some work to do. There are a lot of retailers that are still selling quite a few very unsustainable items, and, uh, you know, they need to do a better job with traceability. They need to do a better job providing good information for their customers that want to come in and do the right thing. But in general, um, we've made some real progress. And so one thing that people can do if they're interested in buying seafood in a supermarket is take a look at this scorecard and see where the uh, retailers near you score. And so you can Are you talking better. about the Greenpeace scorecard or the Seafood Aquarium or the Seafood Watch? Uh, well, in terms of choosing a supermarket, it would be right. the Greenpeace scorecard, so that you can find at greenpeace.org slash seafood. And in terms of what kind of seafood to buy or what else you could do, I think one of the best things that people can do is just ask questions. When you walk into a supermarket or a restaurant, ask questions about what the fish actually is, where it was caught, whether the population is healthy, how it was caught, those kinds of things. Really you know, very often they're not even going to know the answer, but it right. signals that this stuff is important to their Thank customers. Thank you. Um, and, Carrie, we just have about 30 seconds. Any uh, last words or takeaway for shoppers? Yeah, one thing I just want to say is that, you know, this, this whole, all this information about sustainable seafood has come a long way. You know, close to 15 years ago, there was one producer attending meetings on sustainable seafood, and now there are, you know, tons and so there's lots of information and if you you know you want to keep it simple you can follow the the you know leading certifications and ask questions just like john said it's a great idea just to demonstrate how important it is to you well thank you so much john and carrie for coming on the show thank you my pleasure that was john hosevar director of the oceans campaign at greenpeace and carrie brownstein who develops seafood purchasing standards at whole foods 
We'll post some links and resources on our website, howonearthradio.org, later. And don't forget, you can check out KGNU's year-long series on Colorado water issues. It's called Connecting the Drops, and it's at kgnu.org and yourwatercolorado.org. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. This week's show was produced by Susan Moran. Executive producer and engineer is yours truly, Joel Parker. Additional contributions by Beth Bennett. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from The Beatles. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and you can subscribe to our podcast through iTunes and follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303 303- Four four seven nine nine one one. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Susan Moran, and I'm Joel Parker. <laughs>